So I'm going to kick off right away with a real quick question. If you had a young child, maybe your child, a younger kid in the church come up to you and say, why is it okay for God to be jealous but not us? How would you answer that? My wife actually had this happen a couple years ago. Because he's jealous for our soul. He's jealous for our soul. Okay. God's perfect. He's perfect. So everything he does. So it's okay to be jealous if you're perfect? He's perfectly jealous. <laughs> I would agree. Alyssa. Because he created us. We didn't create ourselves. And so he can be jealous over his creation. Okay. No. Is it okay for us to be jealous? No. Because we are sinful, and our jealousy will be sinful. Okay. I think we can be jealous for the Word of God. Okay. I mean, jealous for the Word of God. And He's very jealous for His glory, His own glory. Mm -hmm. That's just a teaser question. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. So we're just going to talk about <coughs> on your website. <laughs> you got to wait, Chuck. Um, so on your outline, I've got the basics there. You can fill in. Um, I'm going to say more than you can fill in in that space, but you can just condense what I say, fill in, fill that in. Um, the Hebrew title for Deuteronomy is literally, these are the words. And if you have been paying attention, you can just tell that the Hebrew title is just the first few words of the book. Uh, the title Deuteronomy is from the Greek meaning second law giving uh, because it mostly consists of Moses reiterating the law. If you have a MacArthur study Bible, MacArthur notes that that's not really a good title because it's not the second giving of the law. Moses is really just explaining um, the law that was given in Exodus and Leviticus. It's not really a second giving, but it's just an explanation of it. The author is Moses, except for probably the last portion. Uh, they think Joshua wrote down after Moses' death. Obviously, he can't write that part. I suppose he could have prophesied and wrote it out, but it's likely that it was Joshua. The date that the events in the book cover um, is January to February in 1405. It's a very short time period. Uh, that the book of Deuteronomy covers. Just a couple weeks. What was the year? 1405 B.C. That would have been when Moses died. And he wrote it down. He would have written it sometime during those months. It says in chapter 28 that he wrote them down after he told all the people. So sometime um, in those two months he wrote it down as well. The purpose for the book of Deuteronomy is Moses wanted to exhort the people of Israel to stay faithful to Yahweh and the covenant that they made with him at Sinai, okay, so that they might go in and possess the land. Um, even though Moses prophesied, he foretold that the people of Israel would not um, follow the law and that they would be exiled. Uh, he still implored them and exhorted them to follow after the Lord, to remain faithful to him. <clears throat> if you're not in Deuteronomy in your Bible, most of you probably are, turn there now uh, to 
chapter 30. We're going to read just a couple of sections in Deuteronomy just to drive home this purpose of the book. And once again, the purpose is Moses is just trying to exhort the people to, to stay faithful uh, to Yahweh and the covenant that they made with him. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, I'm going to read verses 15 to 20. Moses said, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandment of the Lord your God that I commanded you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Now, real quick, flip over a couple pages to chapter 32. Chapter 32 contains Moses' final exhortation to the people of Israel before he passes away. <clears throat> he implores the people again to love God and to follow him. Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 45. And when Moses had finished speaking, to all, speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, and that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. So Moses exhorted the people of Israel that God was their very life. God's word was their very life. But if you notice, it's not the, some pharisaical, legalistic devotion um, to rules that Moses is imploring. He exhorts them first to love God, just as God had first loved them and redeemed them from Israel. Moses was imploring his people to believe and have faith in God and in his word to trust and obey God out of love. This is exactly what we see um, in John chapter 11, where Lazarus has died. Uh, he's in the tomb. Jesus is talking with Martha. And Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, that is the word, John 1, 1, the word, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Because of the New Testament, we can look back at the book of Deuteronomy and Moses' exhortations and know that Moses exhorted them to have faith in God, to love God, to follow after him out of belief, not out of some compulsion to follow the law. And you see that all through De Deuteronomy, Moses imploring them to love God, to love him, to love him, to love him. That was his first 
and foremost command to them. So those of you that read Deuteronomy, it's fresh in your mind. What do you think the overall theme of the book was as you read through it? If you can boil it down just, just a few words, what would you say the overall theme for the book was? Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God. Good. Anybody else? Did anybody else read it besides Lauren? Yeah. <laughs> Good. It's a long book. Yeah, it is. It's hard to condense everything. I mean, I, mean, I, I would think the central, I don't know, one of the key verses is uh, the... Love the Lord your God with all your might and all your soul and all your strength. That kind of, that one. I can't say it unless I sing it. Yeah. Uh, but, but I don't know if that's the whole theme. I, I just okay. like that as a central. Yeah, that's definitely a central uh, topic throughout. Yeah, and it's a central topic. But to say the theme for the whole book, because it's like review. Yeah, the overall theme is uh, covenant renewal or a review of the covenant that Moses gave to Israel in Exodus. And um, last week we went through Numbers. He did this all. He had to renew the covenant because that entire generation that was there is gone. They've died. And so he is renewing the covenant with the new generation of Israelites. So as you look at your handout there, there's an outline for the book. Um, and... The book of Deuteronomy is a book of discourses or sermons from Moses to the people of Israel. Okay, and as we mentioned, the whole book covers a matter of a few weeks at the end of Moses' life. Um, what we have here are some sermons from Moses, and they're grouped into different um, sections in that outline just to help us narrow down um, just, uh, just an outline of it. So the first one there is the first discourse, which covers the past, uh, what God has done, verses 1 to 4. Second discourse is the present, uh, what God expects of the people of Israel. And if you read it, you saw that, they, that he reviews the law, he reviews the covenant, and lays out the blessings and cursings, what God expects of them. The third discourse, the future, that's actually um, the blessings and cursings. If they followed what Moses reviewed for them, then they would receive blessing, but if they did not, that they would receive cursings. So there's past, present, future, what God did, was expecting of them, and would do for them, depending on how they followed the covenant. The last few uh, chapters are what's called a historical appendix, or the transition of the covenant mediator. Where Moses, uh, it's Moses' song, it's his final exhortation to the people of Israel. He hands the reins over to Joshua, and then he goes up on a mountain and and dies. So those are the basics to the book of Deuteronomy. I want to talk about a couple major themes uh, from the book of Deuteronomy. But first, uh, real quick, what did you guys see? Doug kind of mentioned this. What did you guys see as major themes throughout the book? Maybe not something that summarized the book, but as you read it, what were some things you kept seeing that were repeated? <clears throat> The Lord your God, the Lord your God. The Lord your God. Yeah. And remember. Remember. Yeah. Yep. Remember, remember, remember. 
Why is it so important that they remember? So that they don't fall back into the yeah. same sin. Yeah. Same reason it's important for us to remember. Right. Right? <clears throat> Anybody else see some repetitive uh, phrases or themes in the book of Deuteronomy? Well, I mean, it's, it's the importance of the word. And the man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. So, yeah. so it's mouth of God. Yeah. And how often does he say, if you hold to my word? Again, it goes back to the blessings and curses. Yeah, yeah but God's definitely, or uh, Moses is definitely over and over imploring the people to obey the word of God. We're going to talk about two major themes in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and they all have subpoints. They're on your, your outline there. You can fill in the blanks there, and then there's subpoints underneath them. The first one you can fill in there um, is the election of Israel. Okay, so the election of Israel. Point number one under that, I really should get one of these because I always forget what I put on it. <laughs> you know, that was an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so point number one underneath um, the election of Israel is Yahweh our or your God. Um, the phrase Yahweh our God or Yahweh your God is mentioned 304 times in the book. I don't think Moses left any room for misinter misinterpretation of whose people this was. This was Yahweh's people and these people were entering a covenant with Yahweh. Moses made sure that we knew that, that Yahweh was the God of the Israelites. Now, that begs the question, how did the people of Israel come to know Yahweh as their God? What I mean by that was, was it their initiation or God's? God's, God's right? That brings us to point number two, the choice of Yahweh. The choice of Yahweh. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7. <clears throat> Moses makes this point very clear to the people that God chose them to be his people. <clears throat> <clears throat> Deuteronomy 7, we're going to read from verses 1 to 8. This is Moses speaking. He says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mighty than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would not turn away your sons from following me, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy, that is set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, 
out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So Moses makes very clear that God chose them. But did God choose the people of Israel because they were mightier than anyone else? No. No, right after that, it tells them, not because you were more in number than other people or mightier than them, but that you were fewest of all. Verse 8 goes on to say, But it is because of the, the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord brought you out with it a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. <coughs> but did God choose them because they were better than the other people in Canaan? No. No. Flip over to chapter 9. Just a page to chapter 9, verse 4. Deuteronomy 9.4, I'm going to read through verse 7. Moses said, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them on before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess their land, but because of their, the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness, from the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. So Moses is making pretty clear to the people that they had nothing to do with why God chose them. God's sovereign choice of Abraham and Israel had nothing to do with their righteousness, but rested solely on the sovereign choice of Yahweh. And this is exactly what Ephesians 1 tells us about the church, right? It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us all, all wisdom and insight. And God did all that while we were what? Sinners. Yeah, sinners and enemies of Christ. Such glorious gospel truths that we find in these Old Testament books. Though they were veiled then, the, Old, the New Testament gives us clarity as to what God had veiled through his words. <clears throat> God's word says the same thing front and back. Old and New Testament says the same thing. God never changes. He never changed how people were saved. Moses or um, Abraham says was saved by faith. Moses was saved by faith. <clears throat> God never changes. And we see that in Deuteronomy, Moses telling the people that God elected them the same way he elected us by his sovereign will and not because of anything we had done. 
It's a little warm in here. You guys want to check and make sure the AC is on? Thanks, Dan. <clears throat> so that caps off the first uh, major theme, the election of Israel, and brings us to the second major theme in the book, and that is the attributes of Yahweh. The attributes of Yahweh. Those of you that read it, what attributes of God did you see repeated over and over in Deuteronomy? Holiness. Holiness, okay. Absolute authority. Faithfulness, absolute authority, good. Jesse? Patience. Patience, okay. Justice. Justice, good. else? Pulling out? It's faithfulness both for blessing on the one hand and cursing on the other hand. Like, like both. faithfulness <laughs> cuts two different ways. Okay. Well, she Maybe. said uh, judgment. So faithfulness would be for the blessings, judgment would be for the cursings. But yeah, he's More. just the... Yeah, he's a <coughs> promise keeper. Promise keeper. Yeah. Could you say sovereignty? Um, I don't know if somebody said sovereignty. <clears throat> Some of these, uh, there's five altogether. Some of these we're not going to spend a lot of time on. When I taught these in youth group, I spent a week on each one. So we're going to have to speed through some of these. So um, it's not the nature of what we're doing. I'm just going to touch on a couple of them. Uh, number one is we see God as faithful. Um, and after reading Numbers... Um, it's, it's not a real shocker that God is faithful even though the people of Israel time and time again rebelled God was faithful he had purpose to bless his people and nothing was going to stop that not even the rebellion of their leader God had purposed to be faithful to his covenant and we saw that in Numbers and that's all reiterated in the first four chapters of Deuteronomy that history that just reminded them of how faithful God had been to them even amidst their unfaithfulness. Uh, number two is we see God as loving. Uh, this just goes along with what we talked about in regards to God electing and choosing. He chose to set his love upon his people. And Moses over and over again reminds the people of God's love for them. And in your outline there, I've put a whole bunch of cross-references if you want to look those up later because we're not spending a whole lot of time on them tonight. If you want to look all those up later, you can. It's, it's encouraging to see that over and over again. <clears throat> Number three, we see God as judge. The current generation was familiar with God's judgment as they were living out the judgment of their parents, right? That's why they were standing there. That's why the people hadn't been in the land of the promised land yet because their parents rebelled and God judged the entire nation. And Moses reminded them all throughout that. Not to mention they weren't the most faithful people wandering 40 years in the desert. So they saw God's judgment all through that. That brings us to number four, jealous. We see God as a jealous God. Now this gets us back to the question I started off with which was, 
about whether it's okay for us to be jealous, why is it okay for God to be jealous, uh, but not us, as one kid asked my wife in children's church one day, why is it okay for God to be jealous, but not us? Turn in to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 23 through 24. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and may carved it. Let me start over. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So we already talked about this a little bit, but why is it okay for God to be jealous and not us? Just a quick show of hands. You can't look back at Travis. Make sure you got the answer right. <laughs> Raise your hand if you think it's okay for people to be down. jealous. What? Can we put our put your head down. Just don't look. Don't turn around. <laughs> then you're at a disadvantage. Raise your hand if you think it's okay for us to be jealous. Of, of anything? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, we'll get there. Just under certain circumstances. We will. Could you define jealousy? We will. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. You're asking us to give questions. Whatever we say, we're going to get spotted. Is there anybody in here that thinks that it's wrong to be jealous all the time? Yes. I hear yes. Okay. Um, the misunderstanding with this can be attributed to a simple misunderstanding of the definition of jealousy. Okay? It's amazing what a simple dictionary definition can do sometimes with clarity. Um, most people think of jealousy as a feeling of covetousness. That's how many dictionaries define it, a feeling of covetousness. Uh, it's like a feeling of, I want what you have. That's how they describe it. Um, this is a, a very surface, surface level um, of what's going on when jealousy happens. That's why, that's why people attribute it to that. Um, jealousy often looks like I want what you have, uh, but that's not actually what's going on. When somebody says, I want what you have, that's coveting. That's not jealousy. And envy is that the other word to use? Envy, yeah. To covet is to want what someone else has. And that includes desires and all, feelings and all. So let's get a good definition of jealousy. Um, there's two parts to the definition of jealousy. Um, the second part is a very sobering side of jealousy. That's what we see in uh, the book of Deuteronomy. That's what's on the surface all through Deuteronomy. Turn in your Bible real quick to Deuteronomy 13. So the first part, or one half of that definition of jealousy, and you can write this in your outline under the A, jealousy is an intolerance of unfaithfulness or rivalry. Intolerance of unfaithfulness and rivalry. And we see that in Deuteronomy 
13. There's several places where Deuteronomy specifically mentions God as a jealous God, but here we see it worked out in Deuteronomy uh, 13. And this is starting in verse 6. It says, If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend who is as your own soul entices you secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall be first your hand, sorry, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of the people. You shall stone him to death with stones because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. So, put your mother, brother, son, or daughter to death for enticing you to serve other gods. God is intolerant of unfaithfulness. God is intolerant of unfaithfulness and even rivalry in the camp. He didn't want anything else in the camp. It didn't matter if people were actually worshiping it. He didn't want anything in the camp that would entice the people. Told them to kill anybody that enticed anybody towards that. So that's the first part of it. God is intolerant of unfaithfulness. The other side of the coin is a vigilant protection of your possession or of a possession. Vigilant protection of a possession. Um, this is the more subtle, and for those of us who are believers, this is a sweet uh, side of God's jealousy. Um, this is what this is what often comes out in our children. It doesn't come out sweet in them, uh, but it, this is what comes out in them is when they see someone else playing with one of their toys. That's what they immediately do. That is mine. <laughs> their selfishness comes out in that. It's not I want what they have, but that is mine. No, our, us adults, we don't ever do that. <laughs> so when this comes to God's, um, God's jealousy for us, this is a very sweet side of jealousy. Uh, God vigilantly protects us. <clears throat> uh, God gave the Israelites the strength and he commanded them to wipe all the other nations out that they were going into. He commanded them that for their good, and he gave them the strength to do that. He protected them that way because he was jealous for them. Um, and the reason that this is uh, such a sweet doctrine for us um, is because as believers, we are his possession. When something else entices our heart, uh, when we are enticed away from God and worship other things, God is faithful and says, mine, and he pulls us back from that. He does have to discipline us for walking away. Um, that's the jealousy part. He wants to let us know that he is intolerant of unfaithfulness. But when our hearts are enticed 
and we walk away, God's jealousy for us always seeks us out. He always claims us and brings us out of our sin. So this jealousy of God is a sweet and at the same time a sobering characteristic of God. Now, with that definition, uh, vigilant to protect a possession and intolerant of unfaithfulness, is there a time we should be jealous? Doug. Yeah, I should be jealous of my daughter. Yeah. When she's doing something that's wrong or somebody's trying to harm her. I love you too much to act, let you act that way. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lot of drinking. Yeah, I'm going to beat no. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck. Yes, I think uh, I think we should be jealous of our life and doctrine. I think Paul says that pretty plainly. Guard your life and doctrine carefully. Yeah, <coughs> definitely. That has implications in the church. What's what's an instance in the church you might have to do that? Uh, guard our life and doctrine as a church body of believers. Mutual guardianship. Yeah. So if you see, you know. Ryan stepping out of line, you know, he's worshiping at, worshiping at some altar somewhere. Sorry, dude. It's a problem. Then we've got to call him out on that. We're jealous for God's glory first, and because he's claiming to be a believer, he is a possession of God's, and we correct him, and we um, restore him. That's, that's God uses us to bring about his uh, jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say, Karen? Well... <laughs> and if you read some, if there, although it wouldn't happen because you guys take really good care that what we have in the bookstore is is according to the word. But if we did, if we we saw some something available or being read that was contrary to scripture, we're supposed to be vigilant in staying true to the word. Yeah, that was something Travis got a lot of grief for when he came here was calling out people that are false teachers. Um, and they criticized him in the name of love. You can't do that. Well, love for what? Not yeah. love for God and his people. Natalie. It's loving for us to call people out on what they're doing wrong. And, well, it's loving to the rest of the people to kick them out if they're just not going to correct themselves. Yeah, we, we correct other people. You have to kick them out if they don't receive any correction. But yeah. Watch out. You don't just kick them out because you don't want to deal with them. But. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan's happy. <laughs> I mean, you, you, there, there are a whole lot of implications for that. Um, you know, you, just with regards to um, intolerant of unfaithfulness, it's okay for you as a spouse to be intolerant of unfaithfulness, right? Both those aspects are okay, um, but they just have to be uh, guarded and used in accordance with God's word. But like I said, we don't have time to work out all the implications for that, but as you have that correct um, definition of jealousy, as you read through scripture, now that can just inform you on the rest of the implications you'll find in scripture for how we are to be jealous for God and for his church. So that brings us to number five, where we see God as gracious. Number five is gracious. 
God's graciousness is mentioned time and time again in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and we've seen it time and time again all through the Pentateuch. God giving his people grace. Um, but I want to focus on one passage in particular that I think just oozes with the graciousness of God, the loving kindness of God. So go to the end of Deuteronomy, the last chapter, chapter 34. Why didn't Moses get into the promised land? Disobeyed. He disobeyed God. He hit a rock instead of speaking to it. Yeah. Unbelief. Yeah, God says he rebelled against him. He didn't regard him as holy. Now, how many of you, early, early in your faith, you read through that passage and you're like, really, God? You just hit a rock instead of speaking to it. Really? You're going to keep him out of the promised land for that? How many of you guys did that when you were early? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, let's take a look at this, this uh, last chapter. Take a look at the loving kindness of God. Deuteronomy 34, uh, 1 to 8. It says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb, and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. The people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Now, some of you might be thinking, how does this exemplify the loving kindness of God? God brought him up to show him what he was missing out on. No. How is that a mark of God's grace? Love. Love showed it to him. He um, didn't have to do any of that. He didn't have to do any of that. Also, his physical health was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, at 120... He could still so that's see. how you see the loving kindness of God in his health? Get up yeah, he got, well, it said his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Yeah. So that means he was still like a 20-year-old, you know? Like, I don't know about it. that, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, maybe 20 was their 40. <laughs> what was the one thing, not in this book, but what was the one thing that Moses absolutely begged God for? See the promise. There you go. Moses absolutely begged God to show him his glory, to see his face. More than anything, that was what Moses wanted. Um, Moses also asked God to, um, even after he sinned, he said, God, you know, God pronounces judgment. You're not going to make it to the promised land because you did not uphold me as holy. Um, and Moses said, Lord, please, you know, let me go into the promised land. And God told him, no. 
So he asked God for that, um, and God refused. The verses that we just read say that, as Alyssa mentioned, Moses' eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Moses climbed up on the mountain, just got to see the promised land from a distance, but God was gracious and gave Moses the two things he wanted most, just not in the way that he was thinking. He climbed up the mountain, he stood and he looked at the promised land, still with adrenaline in his veins. I don't think he was sitting down on a rock as he looked out. I think he was standing at the top of the mountain looking out there. Um, and with a bit of sanctified speculation, I believe that Moses marched up the mountain, looked out. He saw the promised land that God had for the people. And before any thought of remorse or regret could enter his mind, God took him. And immediately he was in the presence of the Lord. As Josh taught on that Sunday, um, when God, when someone dies, they immediately, that day, they're in the presence of the Lord. So as he was there with God, he got to see a poor view of the promised land. He had a, you know, essentially a poor view of, of God, and immediately God brought Moses into his presence. He got to see God's glory, what he always wanted to see, and a much better promised land. So very, um, in my opinion, one of the most gracious moments in Deuteronomy filled with God's loving kindness. God brought Moses into his presence, gave him the thing he always wanted the most, and quite frankly, he spared him from more heartache with the Israelites, <laughs> right? <laughs> spared him any more um, toiling with those rebellious Israelites. As you read Deuteronomy, anybody pick up on a little bit of, you know, just Moses, tired of those people, <laughs> rebellious. That's right. He even told them in Deuteronomy, it's, you guys just drove me to madness. You might have said, God, can we revisit that promise? We can start over again. So regardless of how you see Moses' final seconds, um, God extended his loving kindness, um, just relieving Moses of toil on this earth, of his, of his um, even though he was filled with vigor, 20-year-old body probably doesn't feel real good. He was probably hurting as he was up there, though he didn't notice it. God showed him his loving kindness and his gracious hand. So, obviously, Moses never made it to the promised land. We talked about this in youth group a little bit last week, but from a theological perspective, why didn't Moses enter the promised land? Because of sin. Because of sin. Okay, good. That's one, that's one thing. Even one little sin of disobeying. I didn't hit a rock instead of speaking to it. That's enough. You know, as we look at it, that's enough to fall when, short. When he hit the rock, he said, must we provide water for you rebels? Call them rebels. In other words, he was putting the glory on himself instead of yeah. God. Yeah, so one, one, one way to look at that from a theological perspective is that one sin 
keep you out of the promised land. What else? Think bigger picture. See if anybody gets it. Well, Lisa. scripture talks about when he struck the rock, God said, you strike me, basically. Uh, and again, just part of prophecy, because Christ is our rock. And oh, okay. Hold on, Lisa had her hand up. Moses represented the commandments and the law. And I think when we go to the promised land, heaven, that doesn't the law doesn't get us to the promised land. And yeah. I think Moses doesn't get us to the promised land by the law. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. As, from a theological perspective, as the Jews looked back, as we look back, Moses represented the law. Aaron died too, he represented the priesthood. As we look back, we need, the Jews needed to realize, we need to realize that following Moses, following the law, following Aaron, following sacrificial systems, they fall short of the promised land. They do not get you to the promised land. And from a theological perspective, God never intended for Moses to lead the people to the promised land. <coughs> for that very reason, following Moses and the law and Aaron and the priesthood fell short of perfection. Very good. Um, the third one I wasn't going to talk a whole lot about uh, was the requirements of Israel. It's not on there. Um, the third major theme is the requirements of Israel. Um, just that God laid out several requirements for Israel to follow in the, uh, in the renewal of the covenant. Um, but just for time's sake, I don't want to cover that, but I wanted to let you guys know that's in there. The requirements of Israel was a major theme, as I'm sure you guys noticed. I'm going through that. How much time do we have left? Oh, we got, got more time here than I usually do, so. Um, before we get into interpretive challenges, what did you guys think were some key chapters in Deuteronomy? As you read through it, you're like, that's, that's a key chapter right there. I know last week in Numbers, you talked about the six, six. rebellion. Six. six. Okay, good. Why that one? Um, that's, you know, here on Israel, the Lord our God, you're like God, yeah. the Lord is one. And it talks about how it just should be in our hearts. The love of God should be in our hearts, and it should permeate everything. Yeah. Good. That's a key chapter. Who else? Anybody else got one? I think 28 is. 28? Is the blessing and the, and the curse. Yeah. And, and I was going to also say 30 because of returning to the Lord. Right. <clears throat> 30 because of what does? Returning to the Lord. Oh, okay. 34. <clears throat> 34. Moses died. Moses died. Okay. And I set up a new chapter. Yeah. Sets up the new, the next era, right? Mm -hmm. Joshua is now leading the Israelites. I think 10 as well because it, it alludes in there to talking about the circumcising your heart. And so that's pointing to not just following the law, but, that, but the love of God should be driving everything. And I think it points to the fact that <coughs> you're not going to be able to keep the law. Chapter 4 talked a lot about obedience. Which chapter? 4. 
before. Okay. And they talked about obedience and also passing it down to the children. Yeah. And then how it shouldn't just stop with them, but that it needs to be passed down. I like chapter 6 where it says you have to teach these to your children. It yeah. just doesn't come. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. <laughs> teach them every day when yeah. they're sleeping. I mean, when, really, when they're lying down, when you're lying down, when they're walking, every opportunity you need to give your child. Yeah. It's not, it's not my job to teach your kids. It's not Monica's job to teach your kids. It's your responsibility to teach your kids. We're, we're here um, at the church, and we, we have the opportunity to couple hours a week to, to influence them. I think it was a Sunday school lesson we did, and there was a little survey on there, had uh, who influences you the most. Um, and there was a spot on there for parents, friends, youth pastors, teachers, and you're supposed to like mark the top two. Youth pastors, pastors, teachers were not high on the list. And that's just because kids, they look up to their parents, they're influenced by their parents more than anything. And if parents aren't teaching their kids, then you end up with a, an Israel like they had. That's why in uh, chapter 21, death for all rebellious children. <laughs> they didn't follow that one, I'm guessing. So. Anybody else think a chapter jump out to him? Chapter 18 is important at the end of the chapter when it talks, it points ahead to a prophet like him who will be raised up. So it's kind of a pointing to Christ, but it also uh, gives, teaches them discernment on how to identify a true from a false prophet. And so that's a responsibility of God's people always is to discern between what's true and false, ask hard questions. Yeah. In chapter 13, um, they're told to test uh, false prophets and put them to death. Yep. So yeah, that's a huge deal. We don't, you know, I think I mentioned something about this last week, but if we started doing that with churches around here, we'd be going around, <laughs> you know, slaughtering churches that have just <laughs> apostatized. Can't do that, though. We don't live in a theocracy. <laughs> On a smaller scale, is there any, is there a verse that just jumps out at you that you were reading through? You think that's just, Chuck? Um, the Deuteronomy 32, um, uh, verses, verse 47. <clears throat> 46, 47. He said to them, take to heart all the words with, by which I am warning you today. It's, you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land. You're going over to the Jordan to possess. Um, yeah, that speaks to, to me, I think. Because it's not, it says take to heart, not necessarily take to mind, you know, or something else. But if we say take to heart, it's got some kind of a, a deeper significance that it becomes part of, it becomes our life. I mean, it is our life, and we need to, in, ingest it and digest it and all that, and live it. Whereas the Pharisees took literal, you know, little boxes on their foreheads and writing, yeah. they missed that point. Yeah. <laughs> take it to heart. Memorize it, take it to heart. And it kind of goes back to, you know, um, you know, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because mm -hmm. he says this, by, your, by this word you shall live. 
Yep. Anybody else? Alyssa. Lisa already mentioned it, but six, four through nine. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is all about retelling the law to this next generation, and that's exactly what those verses are talking about. Like, teach them to your kids. Yeah. Who's going to say something over here? Oh, uh, 3326. That's, um, we're talking about the, the comfort that goes. 26, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides on the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. 27, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. So just to comfort you. I think this is a good verse um, that just emphasizes the eminence of God, the closeness of God to his people. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, 7 uh, says, What great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Just that idea that God is, he is transcendent, he is the judge who sits on the throne, the holy God, but he is also our personal God and Savior through Jesus Christ. So that I think that's, that's a good one that stood out to me at least. Anybody else before we move on? That's James. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Just in that same chapter, in chapter 4, is, and I'm not, I may have been out of the room when you mentioned this theme, but the, the theme throughout, um, one of the themes throughout Deuteronomy being uh, that you need to hear or listen. Mm -hmm. And the hearing that's described there is, uh, it's, it's kind of a concept of a hearing that's followed through with obedience. Yeah. So here it's obedient hearing. It's, it's listening that you might do. And, and that's, that's what uh, Moses is calling the people to, not just to listen and let the words go in one ear and out the other, but to hear, have it go down into the heart, and actually change the life. That's, that's, what, um, that's what he's calling the people to hear when, they, when he says, hear the word of God, that's what he's talking about. And that's a really good word for us. Yeah, definitely. Kind of went over that as the purpose. I've been trying to find the verse, too, that kind of echoes the same thing where God said because you failed to serve me with gratitude in your heart then the curses in this will be upon you and I'm, I'm trying to but again just the importance of thanksgiving and gratitude very serious about that and somebody knows what's at right. <clears throat> yes, just on this uh, kind of going back to your the theme about jealousy, I was just looking at verse 9 in that chapter, and that, mm -hmm. there's another uh, really clear direction to us. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, yeah. lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So there's a definitely a uh, command to you know be jealous in that sense. Yeah, and that's... That's the, the purpose that we talked about at the beginning. Moses, that was his desires that the people would take this to heart. He just continually is exhorting them and imploring them because he knows how stubborn they are. 
So over and over, he exhorts and implores them to listen, to remember what they did, remember their rebellion, and uh, learn from that, to uh, take it to heart. Good. So that brings us to an interpretive challenge, and that is the nature of the law. The question is, is the law divided or is the law unified? And I'll explain what I mean by divided and unified. Um, under divided, it means that the law is divided up into three parts. The moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law. The moral law, these are the basic principles of God's character that God calls his people to emulate, and this is binding on the New Testament believer. Ceremonial law, these are the principles of ceremonial worship. Um, this is not binding on the New Testament believer because Jesus Christ fulfilled it, so we don't have to. Uh, the civil law, these are the principles of Israelite society. This is not binding on the New Testament believers since the Gentiles are not living within the Israelite society under a theocracy. Unified means that the law is unified. It means that there are basic stipulations that would work out practically into specifics. The law has come to us as a unified whole. The laws flow forth from general principles of God's character, and it is not divided. Therefore, in the law, we find the standards God gave to Israel and see how righteousness worked itself out in Israelite society. So, which do you think it is? <laughs> Something in me wants to say yes. <laughs> is that the right answer? <laughs> You're looking at Travis. Can you summarize the choices again? Summarize the choices again. Um, so divided or um, unified. I think I wrote the wrong thing on your... Divided and undivided. Undivided on our sheet. It should be unified, sorry. But undivided, unified. Divided or unified? Okay, so divided is, you've got that broken down there. That there, It's broken down into three categories. Some of it's binding on the New Testament believer, but some of it's not. The other one says that there are um, laws that flow forth from principles. And therefore, there's not a division in the law. Can you give an example of that? I guess that's what I mean, because if you have... I think the laws do, do come from larger principles. You see that in our society. There's that discussion today about that, about um, you know the laws legislate morality and all that stuff that we think about. But in maybe there's a difference in application of the law. I'm just throwing it out. Okay. Well, there's things like in 25 where the the wife died or the wife's husband dies. And the brother is supposed to marry her, and if he doesn't, she can take him before the elders and pull off his sandal and write <laughs> 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 that in the legislature. That is just so I funny. don't want to marry my brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alyssa really doesn't want to marry her brother. <laughs> Neither. <laughs> Neither. <laughs> you know, I had to laugh at that, but of course that's you know. So, yeah, that, I, hmm, yeah. Barb. Could you give an example of each one of those? An example of the moral, ceremonial, civil? Well, they mentioned moral. Um, 
And that one would have been, what Karen mentioned, would have been a, a civil law where the, the lover at marriage, they had to marry. If uh, you died childless, you had your brother or your, your husband's brother was supposed to take that responsibility, bear children for the dead brother. Um, a ceremonial law would have been, um, I think this would include the leper, like the, the lepers coming before the priest. Travis preached about that. Um, and then the priests making an assessment well, of that. Wouldn't that also be like the sacrifices? And the sacrifices, yeah. yeah. Would that be the scrubbing the walls when they're moldy? Yep. Mm -hmm. okay. That's a good idea, though. They are moldy, the scrubbing <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, that means Not just scrub them, they had to tear them down. Yeah, right. right. Chuck them out. Moldy walls are bad. Well, that would one. that also be the observance <laughs> of, you know, like the... the Those are civil things, I believe. The the. Okay. Or is that a mix of the festivals you mean? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know where everything fits under, but okay. For example, just take Travis's teaching on Jesus healing the leper, um, where he went into Leviticus, uh, the laws regarding lepers. Um, leprosy, he mentioned, was a symbol of sin, our issue of sin. Um, and as Travis said, um, anyone who had a rash break out or, or um, a white spot on their skin, they had to go to the priest to get it examined. Just taking that principle, what are some implications or things we should do in our personal lives and in church body life? Okay, so the principle that if leprosy represents sin, and any time that they had a spot, they had to go to the priest, they had to show them it and get a prescription for the priest. What implications from that are there on us? <coughs> we should be evaluating our life. Like not necessarily our skin, but our life and seeing if yeah. I don't think Travis wants you coming yeah. in. You know. <laughs> but if, but also like those around us that we're close with. So if we see something that's off that isn't lining up with the Word of God, that's where church discipline would start to take effect. So we would first go to them and approach, and then if they don't listen, get a witness. Okay, good. We're called laying out the whole Matthew. Yeah. Five eighteen. Yeah. yeah. Laying out the whole process there, but just. Personally, you know, and church life, um, you got to examine yourself, obviously. Um, and then when you see things in other people, um, people back then, they weren't allowed to, uh, well, they weren't supposed to hide leprosy for the better of the society, right? For the better of them to get better, but also the society. Um, and same thing, you can take the same principle for us today um, with sin in the church. We shouldn't hide our sin um, because if we, you know, we're involved in that sin, we can pull other people into it. We are hiding some disease that we have and it could, has a chance to infect other people. And so we have to go to the priest, you know, any other believer confess that and, and get some help with that. So I think there are, like Chuck, there are obvious divisions, but there are also principles that we can learn from um, those ceremonial laws and those civil laws, there are principles in there that still bind the believer because they're, um, they're from the Lord. Those same principles flow out of God's character. Do you guys have any questions about that? So yes was the right answer. Yes. Okay. Do you have anything else to add to that? Good job, job. What's that? Me? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, way, the way I... I tend to explain it when people ask about like the whether it's a 
a unified law code that's given to Israel or whether it's divided up into sections. Um, you know, just in the example you just brought up about leprosy, you can see both a ceremonial and a civil aspect to that. There's a crossover. And if you look beneath that principle, you see a moral element that's tied to the character of God. So um, it, I think we tend to look back at the law and, and put it into categories, and I think that's, that's natural for us to do that. We're kind of imposing it. Um, but I don't... I think when Israel received it, I don't think they saw it as, okay, that's in the ceremonial category only, or that's in you know, the civil category, the moral category. For them, this is just, this is how you live. This is society. This is a, a heavenly, a, a revealed culture from heaven uh, that God says, this is how you're going to live as my people on the earth. And so they, they received the whole thing um, unified and lived it out. So I, I, I don't think they divvied, I mean, the, they certainly did divvy it up and try to, you know, the, especially as you get into the, uh, some of the rabbinical teachings, you can see how they, they parsed it out. And that's just, that's just natural for us to do, to yeah. categorize and organize. But at the same time, I think they saw it as, a, as an entire law code given to them. Yeah. And we kind of superimpose a little bit of a structure on it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's because we're looking back, you know, on it and we're not we're not there? Yeah, we, we don't actually look back on it and yeah. attempt to understand it. I think so. We don't actually okay. see how those things are connected, the moral ceremonial. Some some of those stuff. things that seem funny to us, like uh, I think Karen brought up a deliberate marriage and in that in that day, if you're living in that day women hearing that would be so thankful yeah. Yeah. for the protection and provision and security yeah. and safety yeah. that that provided them. Um, and, otherwise and, uh, they'd be prostitutes. What's that? Otherwise they'd be prostitutes most likely. Yeah, or, or destitute or yeah. beggars or whatever. So they, they found a lot of comfort and safety and security in a, in a family structure that if that brother, if that husband died, the, there would be brothers who would provide for them. And that, mm -hmm. you, you know, that, that factored into how families came together and, and um, you know, the concern that they had for one another and looking back in generations and seeing a family character and how marriages were arranged, all that stuff seems kind of strange to us and foreign. Uh, we do, when we interpret the Bible, have to go back thousands of years to cross gaps of culture and history and time and geography and, and that's, the, that's what we do when we interpret. So, it, it makes sense the closer you get to the action. It seems a little strange from our, our distance, but if they were to turn the, turn the telescope around and look at our society, <laughs> yeah. they'd be completely confused. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> a lot that does not make sense to them. Even people 100 ago, years ago in our society. Exactly. Yeah, well, especially. Yeah. Especially, <laughs> especially with the sexual revolution stuff going on. <laughs> So that brings us to uh, the end of our study of Deuteronomy. Um, I hope you don't look at it the same as you look back. Um, one thing I always ask the youth is, you guys remember? Everybody? What I always ask you at the end. Oh, why is that, what, what would happen if like, we didn't have that or something like that? 
Something like that. <laughs> if we didn't have the book of Deuteronomy, what would we be missing? So that's a question for you. If we didn't have the book of Deuteronomy, what would we be missing? Anything? Quite a bit of the character of God. Yeah, a lot of God's characteristics laid out. Yeah. Would Moses still be alive? <laughs> yeah, Moses, no. would still be alive. <laughs> Moses would not still be alive. <laughs> Just because it's not written down doesn't mean it didn't happen. <laughs> we wouldn't be confused on what, what happened to Moses. Yeah, we probably would be confused. Oh, no, the answer in Joshua. <laughs> Oh, is that in the first verse of Joshua? First verse of Joshua. Moses is dead. <laughs> Moses is dead. <laughs> Anybody else? It's just that reiteration. You know, like David does in the Psalms so, so much, he goes back and remembers, calls us, calls himself to remembrance. And I think that's so important. Remember, remember. And not just remember, but remember, sink it in your heart and do. And follow God. I think um, besides the Psalms, Deuteronomy is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Um, I think it's Psalms, um, Deuteronomy, and Isaiah. And I can't remember if it's Isaiah or Deuteronomy next, but it's a good chunk of what the New Testament writers quote is out of Deuteronomy. Chuck? I think we would miss uh, uh, Moses' joy in... At the, especially at the very end, you know, there's all this horrible stuff that happens and he's dealing with this rebellious people. Um, but his, his uh, song at the end and blessings to the tribes, to me that really speaks of the end of his life was joyful and we, we have that and we wouldn't have that. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. See Moses. Moses finishing well. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, it reiterates and, and teaches us the importance of preparing the next generation. Mm. Good. <clears throat> Very good. You also see in the reiteration of the law, you see some explanation that comes yeah. in for why the law was given, why the people were chosen. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of explanation that goes along with the reiteration. So it's not just a one-to-one a -one correspondence right. of repetition, but it's, yeah. it's elaboration as well. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that's not even necessarily biblical, but at school I'm in a survey of world religions class. I um, mean, they obviously they take a liberal view. We just this week got into um, Judaism. And so the teacher is, you know, talking about the Hebrew scriptures, and um, you probably may not even know, but the the liberal scholars claim that the Old Testament was com was written down um, in 800 uh, BC, uh, before or no, after the exile, they wrote all of these things down, and there's like three sort of JP something. They don't know who they are. They just they went through the Bible and they said, okay, this, you know, they picked out themes basically and said, okay, one person must have wrote all these sections. And I think Deuteronomy, with the retelling of the law, would not make any sense if Moses gave, if these guys wrote it all down later, they wrote Exodus, and why would they retell the law right there? Why wouldn't they just write it all out in one book? So there's a, there's a bit of um, apologetic to it as well.
So, but I agree with, with you guys. Um, lose a lot of God's character. Um, we'd lose the, the 300 plus references of God. I chose these people. These are my people. Um, his jealousy uh, brought out in that. So, um, I implore you just as Moses did, the Israelites just read scripture, uh, trust God, remain faithful to God. That's what Moses' purpose was, imploring them to trust and obey, not just surface level legalistic hearing, but trusting and obeying and doing what he said. Love God and obey his commands. <clears throat> you guys have any questions? What's our homework? Your homework is Joshua for next week. It's a little more manageable. They're gonna they're a little bit smaller for a while. You gotta get caught up so when we get to Isaiah and Ezekiel. <laughs> you don't have to cram that into a week. Yeah. We may we may I've got some ideas to figure out something else for Psalms instead of trying to read through that in a week, but we'll I'll talk to Travis about it. You guys have any questions on Deuteronomy though? Is there any interpretation, interpretive problems you ran into that we didn't talk about? He's only talked about one. Well, it's just, I think it's just important, like Travis was saying, it's hard, hard work to go back and put yourself in that context, but it's really important that you do because mm -hmm. the whole division of the law thing is anyone who, which is most of, it seems like most of our society who's grown up in a Churchish kind of influence and has a basic understanding of the Bible. Right, revert back to it's amazing how many uh, you know, homosexual people I talk to who who know that there's a place in the Old Testament that says that they're not supposed to mix clothing uh, types of different types of cloth, different types of fabrics. Therefore, we don't really need that. We can pick and choose what we need. What we the Bible. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's important work to do. And they pick and choose too. Well, and I, I do think that this whole study so far has pointed, like Tra Travis was saying as well, and um, Josh had, had said before, that some of it seems so ridiculous to us, but there was a purpose. Mm -hmm. God had a purpose, and how gracious He was to care for his people and provide all of this. So um, even though I giggle at some <laughs> I mean, you just can't help. <laughs> yeah. just, then, you know, you might giggle, but then your heart is is humbled and warmed by the fact that God did this and he's still doing it. Well, you get you, those types of things when you understand the implications, yeah. like women right. would be destitute without right. that. You, you see God's grace yeah. in the law, mm -hmm. which most people just, you know, it's just a bunch of rules. That's not that's not it at all. The rules are there to protect people. Yeah. So, I think that's you get that too when God talks about why He chose Israel. Yeah. The, you need to understand the wickedness that was going on. We don't understand. We can, we can't imagine. Uh, people offering their children child to child sacrifice or anything. But that was part of what was going on. And I think 
we have a nation that's moving there. Uh, we look at well, it's not born that. sacrifice, but, um, it's just but again, just sacrifice. just how drastically uh, rebellion was toward God and His authority. All right, well, let me close this in a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you humbled um, by your uh, holy character with, that we find in these books. That as we go through um, the Old Testament, Lord, we see your character exemplified. Uh, we praise you that you are a jealous God, that you are intolerant of unfaithfulness, and yet for those you have chosen, you bring them back to yourself. They are yours, they are your possession, and you do not let them go. And just as we saw last week in the book of Numbers, that you, once you have set your purpose, it does not matter from there. You will bring about your purpose. Just as the Israelites and even Moses rebelled, you brought about your purpose because you purposed to bless them by giving them the promised land and nothing was going to keep you from bringing that about. There's great hope in that as we look to our, our uh, salvation, our final glory with you in heaven, Lord, that you will cause us to endure to the end, that you have purposed to uh, elect us Bring us to glory with yourself, Lord, to sanctify us while on this earth and to bring us to glory. And there's great hope in that that we even find in Numbers and Deuteronomy. Uh, we praise you for this word that you've given, Lord. It's so much more than, as, as I've learned, other religions have. They have nothing to go on except uh, oral traditions. But you have given us a good and perfect word that we can eat of every day, that we can just soak it up and learn about you. Lord God, I just pray that you cause us each and every day to be uh, more in love with you, as Moses implored the Israelites to uh, not take for granted this word that you've given us, but make it our very lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.